0: Welcome. This is the one-year Bible reading for August 26th, and we are beginning today in the Old Testament in the book of Job, chapter 20. Then Zophar, the Namathite, replied, I must reply because I am greatly disturbed. I have had to endure your insults, but now my spirit prompts me to reply. Don't you realize that ever since people were first placed on the earth, the triumph of the wicked has been short-lived, and the joy of the godless has been only temporary? Though the godless man's pride reaches to the heavens, and though his head touches the clouds, yet he will perish forever. Thrown away like his own dung, those who knew him will ask, where is he? He will fade like a dream and not be found. He will vanish like a vision in the night. Neither his friends nor his family will ever see him again. His children will beg from the poor, for he must give back his ill-gotten wealth. He was just a young man, but his bones will lie in the dust. He enjoyed the taste of his wickedness, letting it melt under his tongue. He savored it, holding it long in his mouth. But suddenly, the food he has eaten turns sour within him, a poisonous venom in his stomach. He will vomit the wealth he swallowed. God won't let him keep it down. He will suck the poison of snakes. The viper will kill him. He will never again enjoy abundant streams of olive oil or rivers of milk and honey. His labors will not be rewarded. His wealth will bring him no joy, for he oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He foreclosed on their homes. He was always greedy, but never satisfied. Of all the things he dreamed about, nothing remains. Nothing is left after he finishes gorging himself. Therefore, his prosperity will not endure. In the midst of plenty, he will run into trouble, and disasters will destroy him. May God give him a belly full of trouble. May God rain down his anger upon him. He will try to escape, but God's arrow will pierce him. The arrow is pulled from his body, and the arrowhead glistens with blood. The terrors of death are upon him. His treasures will be lost in deepest darkness. A wildfire will devour his goods, consuming all he has left. The heavens will reveal his guilt and the earth will give testimony against him. A flood will sweep away his house. God's anger will descend on him in torrents. This is the fate that awaits the wicked. It is the inheritance decreed by God. Then Job spoke again. Listen closely to what I am saying. You can console me by listening to me. Bear with me and let me speak. After I have spoken, you may mock me. My complaint is with God, not with people. No wonder I'm so impatient. Look at me and be stunned. Put your hand over your mouth in shock. When I think about what I am saying, I shudder. My body trembles. The truth is that the wicked live to a good old age. They grow old and wealthy. They live to see their children grow to maturity and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are not safe, are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves without miscarriage. Their children skip about like lambs in a flock of sheep. They sing with tambourine and harp. They make merry at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in, in prosperity. Then they go down to the grave in peace. All this, even though they say to God, go away, We want no part of you in your ways. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good will it do to us if we pray? But their prosperity is not of their own doing, so I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. Yet the wicked get away with it time and time again. They rarely have trouble and God skips them when he distributes sorrow in his anger. Are they driven before the wind like straw? Are they carried away by the storm? Not at all. Well, you say, at least God will punish their children. But I say that God should punish the ones who sin, not their children. Let them feel their own penalty. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink deeply of the anger of the Almighty, for when they are dead, they will not care what happens to their family. But who can teach a lesson to God, the Supreme Judge? One person dies in prosperity and security, the very picture of good health. Another person dies in bitter poverty, never having tasted the good life. Both alike are buried in the same dust, both eaten by the same worms. Look, I know your thoughts. I know the schemes you plot against me. You will tell me of rich and wicked people who came to disaster because of their sins, but I tell you to ask those who have been around, and they can tell you the truth. Evil people are spared in times of calamity and are allowed to escape. No one rebukes them openly. No one repays them for what they've done. When they are carried to the grave, an honor guard keeps watch at their tomb. A great funeral procession goes to the cemetery. Many pay their respects as the body is laid to rest and the earth gives sweet repose. How can you comfort me? All your explanations are wrong. Then Eliphaz the Tiamanite replied, Can a person's actions be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person be helpful to him? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous? Would it be any gain to him if you are perfect? Is it because of your reverence for him that he accuses and judges you? Not at all. It is because of your wickedness. Your guilt has no limit for example you must have lent money to your friend and then kept the clothing he gave you as a pledge yes you stripped him to the bone you must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry after all you think the land belongs to the powerful and those who are privileged have a right to it you must have sent widows away without helping them and crushed the strength of orphans that is why you are surrounded by traps and sudden fears that is why you cannot see in the darkness and waves of water cover you. God is so great, greater than the highest heavens, higher than the farthest stars. But you reply, that's why God can't see what I am doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? For thick clouds swirl about him and he cannot see us. He is way up there walking on the vault of heaven. Will you continue on the old paths where evil people have walked? they were snatched away in the prime of life and the foundations of their lives were washed away forever for they said to god leave us alone what can the almighty do for us but they forgot that he had filled their homes with good things so i will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking now the righteous will be happy to see the wicked destroyed and the innocent will laugh to see them will laugh them to scorn They will say, surely our enemies have been destroyed. The last of them have been consumed in the fire. Stop quarreling with God. If you agree with him, you will have peace at last and things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty and clean up your life, you will be restored. Give up your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river. Then the Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and look up to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows to him. Whatever you decide to do will be accomplished and light will shine on the road ahead of you. If someone is brought low and you say help him up, God will save the downcast. Then even sinners will be rescued by your pure hands. Again, some of what these friends are saying is is true, but it's wrongly applied, um, especially in the case of Job, who was a righteous man. So it's wrong for us to assume, just because we see someone suffer, that it's because of unrighteousness. We are starting today in 2 Corinthians, um, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. So the second book, or second letter, rather, from Paul to the Corinthians, um, to the church at Corinth. And it's probably actually his third letter, the first being lost um, to uh, not included in the canon of Scripture. Um, just wanted to share with you this little bit about 2 Corinthians. This is from my, um, my study Bible. Touching on the topics of ministry, personality conflicts, forgiveness, servanthood, and generosity, The book of 2 Corinthians teaches dependence on God in every situation. Learning to accept criticism, growing despite conflicts, living a godly life, and finding a hope for the future in the midst of present trouble are all found in the heart of 2 Corinthians. God's strength is sufficient in any time and in any situation. This letter is from Paul, appointed by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our dear brother, Timothy. We are writing to God's church in Corinth and to all the Christians throughout Greece. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you his grace and peace. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and is the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your benefit and salvation. For when God comforts us, it is so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in suffering, you will also share in God's comfort. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we learned not only to rely, not, sorry, not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. And he did deliver us from mortal danger and we are confident that he will continue to deliver us. He will rescue us because you are helping by praying for us. As a result, many will give thanks to God because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. Psalm 40, starting in verse 11. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. My only hope is in your unfailing love and faithfulness. For troubles surround me, too many to count, They pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They are more numerous than the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness. May those who you lo- who may those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, "The Lord is great." As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord is thinking about me right now. You are my helper and my savior. Do not delay, O oh my God. Proverbs twenty-two two through four, the rich and the poor have this. In common, the Lord made them both. A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Continuing in the life you've always wanted, in an undivided life, which is the, what does he call it, the practice of reflection on scripture. So, yesterday we were talking about Paul a little bit at the end, and he writes in his famous statement All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God might be proficient, equipped for every good work. How many good works will we be prepared for? Every one. We won't miss a trick. The idea is not that we will be trying to accumulate a vast assortment of, quote, good deeds each day, like some Boy Scout always on the lookout for a senior citizen to help across the street. It is that every moment of our lives will be an occasion for reflecting in external, visible ways the richness of the inner life shared between us and our Father. If the Bible were to completely fulfill its missions, our minds would be so transformed, so filled with thoughts and thoughts and feelings of truth, love, joy, and humility, that our lives would become one uninterrupted series of acts of grace and moral beauty. Every moment would be a miniature reflection of life in the kingdom of God. So we need to develop the practice of meditating on the scriptures. This is not quite the same thing as Bible study, although that is critically important too. The purpose of meditation is to have our minds washed by the word. Here are some suggestions for the practice of meditating on scripture, and I'm just gonna go through two with you today. The first is, ask God to meet you in scripture. Before you begin reading, take a moment to ask God to speak to you. Then as you read, anticipate that he will do so. Through the centuries, Christians have told many stories of how they met God through the Bible. Augustine, in the best known passage of his Confessions, tells of sitting under a fig tree and hearing a voice repeat, take it and read, take it and read. It seemed clear to him that this was the voice of God calling him to pick up the Bible. And when he had read a brief section from Paul's letter to the Romans, Augustine wrote, I had no wish to read further. There was no need to. It was as though my heart was filled with a light of confidence and all the shadows of my doubt were swept away. So, um, oh it is uni- it, it is uniquely in the bible that we encounter jesus the message of the bible is not just that help is coming it has arrived the kingdom of heaven is at hand jesus said so before you begin to read acknowledge that jesus is present with you ask him to begin to wash your mind excuse me your mind your thoughts even if the cleanser stings a bit as you read certain ideas may strike you you may be moved in reading about God's love or feel convicted about some sin or be prompted to take some course of action. Be open to the possibility that God really is speaking to you through his word. And the second is read the Bible in a repentant spirit. Read the Bible with a readiness to surrender everything. Read it with a vulnerable heart. Read it wisely, but understand that reading for transformation is different from reading to find information or to prove a point, resolve that you will be obedient to the scriptures. People who read the Bible in the wrong way for the wrong reasons can actually be damaged by their reading. When a mind is washed, when someone begins to be filled with the very thoughts of God, it is a gift to the world. When it comes to reading scripture, the key question is not how much, but how. It is possible to read Scripture without being washed by the Word. Scripture itself speaks of just such a condition. Jesus addressed religious leaders who prided themselves on how well they knew the sacred writings. You search the Scriptures, Jesus said, because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. The religious leaders thought their great knowledge of Scripture was proof of their spiritual greatness. But they never allowed the Bible's teachings on humility to cleanse their mind of pride, never allowed its teachings on love to purge their judgmentalism, so they did not recognize the truth of Jesus's teachings. So again, today we talked about asking God to meet us in Scripture and to read the Bible in a repentant spirit, being open to transformation. Have a beautiful day. I love you all.